Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Professor Christy Deaton started out her career as a nurse with no intention of going to university. But her hunger for knowledge led her along the academic path. Christy spoke to Linda Ness about her interesting career. Professor Christy Deaton is the Florence Nightingale Foundation Clinical Professor of Nursing at the University of Cambridge School of Clinical Medicine and Cambridge University Hospitals. Her current research focuses on optimising the management of patients with heart failure. She also works with nurses, midwives and other health professionals to help them to develop their own research. Thank you very much for joining us today on Women Making Waves, Christy. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where, where were you brought up? I'm detecting an accent. Where are you from? <laughs> I haven't lost the accent. I grew up in uh, the southern U.S., actually in the state of Georgia, and spent a good bit of my working life in Atlanta, which may be more familiar to people than the town that I grew up in. But I've lived all over the state of Georgia in, in very rural areas as well as in the city of Atlanta. And you trained to be a nurse. Was that something that you wanted to do when you were at school? Did you leave school and go straight into nursing? No, actually. I never grew up wanting to be a nurse. Um, It it was one of those different career trajectories, I guess. As an adolescent, I wanted to be a scientist. And I was uh, especially enamored of uh, Jane Goodall and the work that she did with the chimpanzees. And I wanted to be like her. I'd done well in school. I had a um, scholarship and I was going to study zoology. But I think if you grow up in small town, southern U.S., the expectations at that time of what girls, young women could do, I think were were, were very different. And I would say I lost my confidence, lost my nerve, and I decided, well, I'll I'll go into nursing. I'll always have a job. That was kind of, that was about it for desire. But then once I got into it, I found out, you know, what a magnificent career it is. And I've taken a long and winding road, but I'm now a nurse and a scientist. That's really interesting because I remember we're probably a kind of similar age, I would imagine. And I remember exactly the same thing of parents and friends of parents. It was all about getting a job, making some money, having a a solid career behind you really in, in something, but not necessarily always going to university. So you initially qualified as a nurse. Did you work in general wards or were you specialising in cardiovascular nursing at that point? The cardiovascular specialty came later. So in the US, you have more of a generalist education, more so than you do here. And I got my nursing degree before I got my first degree, my baccalaureate degree, and worked doing a variety of different things. Med surge, I worked in the operating theatre, when I worked in a small rural hospital, we didn't really specialize. Um, I've even delivered babies at that time. I know my midwife colleagues would be appalled um, <laughs> at that, but uh, you know, we did whatever. They came into a small hospital. We did. We took care of whatever it was. It was. It was excellent education, and I started to understand then how much there was to learn and how, if you were hungry to learn those opportunities were there and you could take advantage of them. But during that time, because I've been around for now for 43 years, when I first started, there really weren't treatments for myocardial infarction or heart attacks. So patients had 
the heart attack they were going to have. They had the damage that that was going to cause. And so I was very interested in, in what happened during this process in cardiac arrhythmias and everything else that happened. Many of them developed heart failure after their MI and then started to see that there were a, a greater understanding of the role of a clot in that coronary artery and they started using the clot busting drugs to open up the artery and that was very exciting and I decided I wanted to be where that was happening. So I moved to Atlanta to a university hospital and we took part in a number of the clinical trials that were testing those drugs and then moving on to what we do now, which is primary um, angioplasty and putting a stent in to open the artery. So that was, that was kind of my journey, but I wanted to be cutting edge rather than the last uh, people to hear about things. So that was when I moved to the university hospital and then got more and more interested in research. I went back and got my first degree and then my master's degree and then a few years later went on and got my PhD because I wanted to be part of that research world. Were you a nurse that kept spotting changes that you wanted to make and improvements that you wanted to make when you were at the coal face? Yes, I think so. I mean, and, and I, I worked in a place where education was valued. You could uh, go to the university, uh, you could get your tuition as long as you were still working, you would get your fees paid to get your degree. And that's how I got my master's degree. I worked with a number of other people and we recognized that we did things differently. So we put in a lot of, um, they don't use them so much now, pulmonary artery catheters. And we realized that we did things very differently. And that was one of the first times when we thought, well, let's look at what the evidence says of what the process should be and what's best practice. And so then we rewrote everything for all of the intensive care units so that we were practicing according to the best evidence. And it was, it was just a really nice, um, I guess, example of, of how you can, you can go to the research and find out what you should be doing rather than the way somebody taught you. Mm-hmm. And that was a very important lesson. And then later on, um, some friends and I, we, we were very much novices, but we said, we're gonna do a, a clinical trial. And we did it of relaxation in patients who were, who were going to have a coronary angiography. In those days, it wasn't outpatient. They came in the night before, were prepped, stayed in hospital a day or two. So we had time to teach them relaxation. And we did find that doing that, that we lowered the amount of sedation they needed in the cath lab. So it was those small things. And I thought, no, I need to know more. And that's when I decided to go back and get my PhD. Was that a thought, though? I mean, did you have to stop the day job in order to focus on going through that PhD full time? Or were you kind of working in, in wards as well at the same time? That would be the ideal. And thankfully, um, here in this country, there are opportunities for people to apply for fellowships where they can do that. They can be full time or part time in undertaking their PhD. But it really wasn't there wasn't much available for me. So I worked uh, full-time while I did all of my degrees. I wanted to do it, you know, I, you know, and I thought, well, I'll just sacrifice any sort of social life <laughs> for a few years and do that. It sounds like there was a lot going on at that time in the area of heart and, and the way that you were treating people with heart problems. Is that slowing down now, that rate of change? Because, you know, when they brought in stents, I mean, we all probably have heard of that or know somebody who's had stents put in. Is, is it still moving at the same rate, that area? Well, for myocardial infarction, I think there's, um, there are other treatments. It's, it's not the area I'm working in so much now, 
And I'm sure that it has moved on in different ways around the, the treatment and how we um, prevent any damage to the heart or repair that, that damage. So yeah, I think there's still a lot of exciting research going on in the heart. My own area is, uh, as you said, I'm interested in heart failure, which is simply a condition that occurs as a result of other, usually other cardiac conditions. Um, and all it, it, it's a terrible term, but it means that the heart is not working as effectively and functioning in the way that it, that it should. Yeah. And I'm particularly interested in a, um, a particular type of heart failure that is less well understood and there, there aren't any treatments for it. And so I think that's a very exciting area and there are a number of clinical trials going on trying to find specific treatments. And we're interested in, well, how do you, while we're waiting for the clinical trials, we need to take care of people now. What is it that we can do now to manage people, to improve their diagnosis and management? And you came to the UK, what, what drove that? Uh, well, that was a mixture of things. My uh, partner is British, so that was, that was the main driving force. I'd always wanted to live outside the US, and I thought that, uh, well, I sort of speak the language, so I could come <laughs> to the UK without, without too many problems. And I have really enjoyed it. I came in 2003, so I'm now 17 years this month in the country, and I don't see myself ever going back to the U.S. Um, I really like the U.K., and I do like being part of Europe, and I'm very sorry that we're not going to be in the same way. We're still part of Europe, but yeah. in the same way. Do you think it's important for health professionals, the people that you're working with, people at the coalface really, to have a, a voice in uh, defining the strategy in the area that they're working in. Absolutely. I think the two issues that come up, people at the coalface will know what the problems are. They may have some Id good ideas about what would help them. They certainly know where there are obstructions or barriers to that, so they should have a say in that. I think sometimes the challenge is for them to step outside of that operational role and think strategically, but people can be helped to do that, taught to do that. And I think importantly, given the, the space and time to do that, because when you're so busy in the day job and you're just trying to make sure that things run well, you don't have time to step back and say, okay, well, let's, let's look at this. We feel like there's a lot of barriers. What are they exactly? And what can we do that would facilitate better care or that we can think about for, for long-term? And that's part of the reason why I think the, the development of clinical academic careers, of research is so important, because it, it means that nurses, physios, midwives step back, take a look at practice, and they're, they're identifying a particular problem and saying, well, you know, why do we do it this way? Is there a better way to do it? What is the evidence? And if the evidence isn't there, is there a study that we need to do that starts to build that evidence base? I'm assuming that you don't work with patients anymore. Was that a difficult choice to make, to go into the more kind of academic side? It was a difficult choice, um, but I had mostly made that by the time that I uh, left to come to the UK. I think that the challenge is trying to combine those two careers, the clinical. I had a, a, a very fairly high level clinical position with a lot of responsibility. And I found it very difficult to do that plus the academic because there, there wasn't a clinical academic role that, that had a nice split in time. 
And I decided that I would focus on the academic, bringing that clinical experience and expertise that I had into my thinking. I only see patients now in research studies, so I don't do hands-on care. And I miss that, probably more so at the beginning, because there's an immediate gratification. You're, you're, you're interacting with a human being, and hopefully you've helped them in some way at that moment or during your, the period of care. And research is a very delayed gratification activity. Uh, you get rejections for grants, you get rejections for papers, the study results don't turn out the way you want them to, but the, the opportunity is there to, rather than affect the care of one person at a time, to hopefully affect the care of uh, a large number of people. Yeah, it must be difficult not not hearing the story, you know, because everyone has a story, don't they? And it, it's sometimes quite yes. nice to, 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 to learn that story. So what, and this, this sounds really rude, but what do you actually do? I mean, what is a day like? <laughs> What's a day like for you? Uh, well, I'll go back on one thing that you said. We do try to get patient sto- stories. So my research, I use both qualitative, which is talking to people, interviewing them, and quantitative collecting data that you can crunch in numbers. So we do try to get patient stories, um, and, and we have some very, very, very good ones from our research. But uh, my day job is, it's incredibly varied. So I have the responsibilities of any university professor, quite a lot of admin as part of that. I, do, I don't do a lot of teaching, I do some teaching as far as the university goes, of course, marking, uh, essays and, and dissertations. Um, I have PhD students, the usual kinds of things. And then my research, which I'd like to spend more time on, is about, well, writing grants, writing papers, analyzing data, making sure the study runs well, that I've got good people in place, and that kind of thing. And then for, the, for Cambridge University Hospitals, I also do a lot of mentoring, meet with a lot of staff, we do workshops and seminars, we put on a conference. We do a lot of things trying to keep, get them in, get people in, more interested in research to talk about clinical academic careers. I'm also involved regionally. The Health Education England is funding some pre-doctoral bridging programs and some internships. And these are intended to help people develop doctoral fellowships and postdoctoral fellowships so that they can continue to develop as researchers. And so we do master classes as part of that. So there's, there's a lot of research teaching that goes into that, but I also represent nursing on a number of the research committees. I do a lot of reviewing and that kind of thing. So it's, it's incredibly varied, I would say. It's certainly never boring. Do you enjoy interacting with students and, and working with, I guess, young people, maybe not always young people, but people who are at the learning stage and, and absorbing it. It must be quite an interesting thing to do. It is. Um, I, I, I love the enthusiasm that they bring and the fact that they are excited about having identified a problem or a question in clinical practice that they think that they can develop the research to do or they can do a, a good systematic review of the evidence to find the answers and or the, the desire to learn and to develop. So I, I really do enjoy that. We have we Cambridge University Hospitals, supported by um, the Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust and the Cambridge Biomedical Research Center, also provide fellowships for our staff. 
so that they can take some time out from their practice to develop a strong uh, and competitive doctoral or postdoctoral fellowship application. And seeing people flourish, it is really wonderful. And I learned so much from them about their different areas. And also, oftentimes they say they develop their, their methodological expertise. They, they're teaching me a lot of things. Have you found that the COVID-19 issue is holding things up? I know that I'm hearing stories of patients not able to have procedures because everything's kind of delayed at the moment in the hospitals, which is understandable because we don't want people going in there unless they absolutely have to. Is it holding up your research or is it holding you up in any way? Well, we've had to suspend our study visits. Uh, We did when the lockdown went in because we couldn't bring patients back into the hospital to do their follow-up. We have stayed in touch with our patients and we've put in some amendments to do remote follow-up. Won't be as good as bringing people in, but we can get some of the data that we need. Most of our follow-up is finished, so that's good. We, we're, we, can, we can just get on with analyzing the data that we have. We are going to be doing some work talking to the patients and the providers who've been in our studies about how they have experienced uh, this lockdown, how they have changed practice, how they've changed how they either manage themselves or they manage, interact with their healthcare providers, what is happening, because it, I think it is, it is concerning, it is a challenge, and there will be some positive things that come out of it. There are many things we can do remotely and yeah. do those well, yeah. but it's making the decisions about when you can do that, for which patients, for what kind of problems, that I think is what we need to sort out. And then to think about, okay, then how do we ensure that people who have long-term conditions, who have more problems than can be maybe handled over a telephone, we need to see them, we need to actually touch them, how can we do that safely? So I think that there would be changes, but the healthcare system needs to develop that flexibility and those different ways of working. So I think there will be some positives that come out of this, but we've got to make sure that in the event of this happening again or you know, different waves of this, that we have ways that we can ensure that the most vulnerable patients get the care that they need. It's certainly been an interesting time, and you're right. I think there have been more changes in communication over the past few weeks than for years before in some respects. (laughs) Of course, the key question, we've heard about everything that you're doing. I don't know how you'd have time for this, but what do you do to relax? What do you do to, you know, in your downtime? Well, luckily for me, I like two things that I'm still able to do, which is walking and reading. I live in uh, Stapleford, so there's lots of rural areas around, so we can do some nice, beautiful walks. Um, I'm very much a wildlife enthusiast, and so working in the garden, trying to make it more wildlife friendly, are things that I've been doing during this time and things that I would have enjoyed doing anyway. I'm a bit of a a sci-fi geek, Oh, really? Um, And I like (laughs) mysteries as well. So, um, you know, old movies, things like that. So, but I I, I do like getting out in the fresh air. I'm trying to learn bird song because I'm a a bad, I'm a bad bird listener. Uh, I think, I wish I knew what it was. I don't have a musical ear. I recognize the birds that have um, their more if they have a distinctive call, but if they're musical, if they sing, I have trouble telling one from the other. (laughs) 
That's quite an interesting thing to do, though. That's a good thing to do for people in lockdown, actually. I haven't heard well, of that heard before. Such great, yeah, we've heard such great bird song, and I have the RSPB CD that you know goes through all the all the birds. So <laughs> that's great, <laughs> Professor Christy Deaton. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. Well, it, it's been a real pleasure, Linda, um, and you know it, it's always very flattering to be asked about yourself, and I've enjoyed talking about uh, what I do because I would encourage anybody that is thinking about a career and I know nurses and AHPs and frontline workers have really gotten a big boost and people are very grateful for what they're doing and I think it just shows that these are great careers and there's so much you can do. Yes, providing frontline hands-on care is so important not only during a pandemic but anytime but there but there are also other avenues that you can pursue. I would encourage people to think about nursing, midwifery, and and allied health professionals as career choices. And that was Professor Christy Deaton talking to Linda Ness. I thought Christy was really, really charming and really knows her stuff. But I loved the backstory. I loved the story of her leaving school and going to be a nurse Mm. and kind of, you know, studying 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 and getting you know more and more it, I just liked the whole thing I just liked the fact that it was organic and I liked the fact that she she found things that she really enjoyed doing and then studied them rather than you know when you go you leave school and go to university and that's absolutely brilliant but you're not really too sure what you're into she, she did it in a great way because she found what she was into then she went off and studied it I really like that yeah it's a quite a rare thing isn't it sometimes you're sort of sometimes you're thrown into a career because you ought to do it and it's part of your uh I don't know your family treatment but she, you're right she did she was she she thought about it first didn't she she was quite measured wasn't she in many ways yes no no she is very thoughtful and really really nice to work with I understand as well, because the person that put me in touch with her actually used to be her PA. And she said, you must speak to Christy. She's brilliant. Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio.